have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you're new with us here this morning, we are going through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we've titled this church, uh, this series called Church Health Matters. Church Health Matters. And we're looking at a number, number of issues within the Corinthian church where they, they weren't very healthy, and the Apostle Paul was casting vision for them and moving towards healthy church and doing being healthy church members and relating to one another in a healthy way. And so the last week we looked at the apostle Paul addressing issue, the issue of meat being eating meat that is sacrificed to idols and you had within the church people who felt free to eat that meat that was sold in the market it didn't bother them that it was offered up to Zeus or Aphrodite. But others who came out of paganism, it was a hindrance to them and their conscience wouldn't let them eat that meat because they felt bad. And so you got two different people culturally trying to walk together. And when you're, when you're in community, how, y'all know that food's important, right? Food's like a centerpiece of community. Like we gather around meals and we fellowship and there's a cultural aspect that we bring with our food, Right? And so there was some tension there within the church. And so the Apostle Paul was casting vision for them of what it looks like to build up the community of faith and love. And he said, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And there were stronger brothers and sisters who con- whose conscience didn't affect them when it came to eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. And so the Apostle Paul was casting vision for them and, and helping them see that they should yield that right and not when they're, when they're around another brother or sister who that's, that's a hindrance to. And, and they should limit their freedom. And the Apostle Paul finished the chapter with this statement saying that if, if eating meat causes my brother to stumble, I won't eat any meat. And wow, talk about a sacrifice there, especially for those of us who love our steaks or pork loin, or or whatever. The Apostle Paul was willing to give up some rights that he had and freedoms that he had for the sake of serving others in the body of Christ. And so today we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and he continues to follow some of that logic that he was communicating through chapter 8. And giving his own life as an example, pointing to his very life itself as one that was lived for the sake of the gospel. Before we read the text, let me just ask you, what are you passionate about? What are you living for in life? If we were to ask somebody closest to you, your spouse, your friends, your your mother, what do you get excited about? What are you passionate about in life? What makes you come alive? When you hear it and you, and you start talking about it, okay, what is it? Just name some things. Okay, you can reflect <laughs> quietly. We talk about this later. But there's a, there's a number of things that we get passionate about. I know I have things that I get passionate about. Like I get passionate when we start talking about um, having babies, and in the, the process of walking with my wife through pregnancy and labor and delivery, like I get excited and I just start kind of preaching and 
Uh, that's just kind of a fun thing. There's a number of other things. Sports. I get excited about sports. I, uh, I enjoy playing sports. Um, there's a number of other things I could list. But hopefully, when somebody thinks of me, that, that the gospel is something that comes to their mind that I'm passionate about. Knowing Jesus and making him known. All right. And this was what the apostle Paul was passionate about more than anything else. He lived his life for Christ's sake, for the gospel's sake. He lived to know Jesus and to make him known. He found pleasure in it. It was his joy. It was his delight, not mere duty. It it was his delight. As Eric Liddell said in uh, Chariots of Fire, he said, God made me fast and I feel God's pleasure when I run. What is it that you do or experience in life that causes you to feel God's pleasure and causes you to come alive and makes you feel like you're hitting on every cylinder? Like this is what I'm made for. God wants us to live wholeheartedly and run wholeheartedly after him and his purposes for our lives. And he's designed each of us with specific gifts uniquely that he wants to use for the glory of his name, for the spread of the gospel. And so this morning, we're going to look at the Apostle Paul's life as an example that he gives. It was St. Irenaeus who said that the glory of God is a human being fully alive. The glory of God is a human being fully alive. And I believe that when we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, we see somebody who was not passive and passively going through life, merely existing. We see somebody who was living with purpose, who was living with passion, who was living for the glory of God and for the spread of the gospel. He said in Philippians 1, he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. He said in in Acts 20, verse 24, he said, But I do not count my life as any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish the course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace. And so let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9 as the Apostle Paul talks about living for the gospel's sake. He said, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? And are you not my worksmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. For we do not have, for, for, for do, do we not have the right to eat and to drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife? Amen. As do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord in Cephas. Or is it only Barnabas and I that have no right to refrain from working for living who serves as a soldier at his own expense who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit 
Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say that the, say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much that we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure any anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have not made, but I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than to have anyone deprive me from the ground, from my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with the stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being though not being myself under the law, that I may win those under the law. And to those outside of the law, I became as one outside of the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I may win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So here's our big idea this morning. God's people must keep the big picture of the gospel in our mission in view so that we live purposely and passionately and faithfully to make an impact with the gospel. God's people must keep the big picture of the gospel and our mission in view so that we may live purposely, passionately, and faithfully to make an impact with the gospel. We have Paul's life as an example that inspires us, that challenges us. And here at City Church, missional living is one of our values. This is something that we've identified as a value here. And we aim to live our lives on mission. God is a missional God and he calls us to live on mission with him. And if we find ourselves in our Christian life stagnant or bored 
or stuck. It may be that we need a little movement on mission to get the waters flowing again, to get the passion flowing again. God's designed us not to be cul-de-sacs that just take in information and just take in life. We're designed to be conduits of God's blessing and God's life. And it's only then will we be fully alive, will we feel like we're really hitting on all cylinders where we're really feeling God's pleasure and, and, and doing what he's created us to do when we're not only receiving from him, but we're allowing his grace and truth and love to flow through us. And so the Apostle Paul said, first of all, he, he describes his freedom and his rights as an apostle. He had freedom and rights. And he limited them for the sake of the gospel. Now, when we talk about freedom, this is a big deal for Americans. We got 4th of July coming up, Independence Day. We celebrate freedom here. Amen. And freedom's important. Jesus came to set captives free from the tyranny of sin and from the tyranny of Satan. And praise God, we live in a country where there are levels of freedom that we get to experience. It's beautiful, right? But there tends to be a, a there, there's a tendency towards idolizing independence, autonomy, and freedom that we want to guard against. Because ultimately, God is sovereign and Lord, and our lives are to be submitted to him. We are his servants. And Paul, though he was free, he made himself a servant, following Jesus' example. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, And this is what we see the Apostle Paul doing. He just got done talking to the weak and the strong and this issue of eating meat, sacrifice the idols, which was causing friction within the body of Christ. And now Paul is giving an example of somebody who is using his own rights. Like he's free to eat meat that's sacrificed the idols because an idol is nothing, right? There's one God and it's not going to affect his relationship with God. But it may affect those who are watching in proximity. And so he limited his freedom and he was encouraging the church to do the same, to not be a stumbling block. And I listed about 30 things last week uh, that, that, that fall in this area, the secondary issues. Now, I know we don't have problems with eating meat, sacrifice the idols. When we go in the Walmart or Costco, we're not worried about the steak and the beef and the chicken, whether it was sacrificed to Zeus or Aphrodite or some, some pagan god, right? But we have all kinds of secondary issues that, that we, we have tension about it. And, and even within this room, there is a diversity of perspectives on. And what we talked about last week is majoring on love and majoring on the gospel and not letting those secondary issues divide us. We say here, uh, unity in the essentials, liberty in the non-essentials, and in all things, charity. And so we unite around the core truths of the faith, core truths of the gospel. One of our, one of our values here is unified diversity. We celebrate the ethnic diversity and the age diversity and, uh, the socioeconomic diversity within the body of Christ. It's beautiful. 
that, that, that we can come together with all the diversity within this room and love one another and love Jesus and pursue a common goal because of the gospel itself. Because it's not these secondary issues that unite us. It's the central issues of faith in Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. One God and Father, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Salvation by grace through faith. And we can give a list of essential issues. But Paul was saying here that he he limited his rights and his freedom. He could have taken a wife. He could have got married. Now we looked at this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He, he let the church know that there are some challenges that come along with being married. And those of you who are married can say amen to that. It's okay without getting in trouble, hopefully. There are challenges and, 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 and worldly concerns that rightfully concern us when we're married. Like paying the mortgage and the light bill and having diapers for your children and, and, and so on. Insurance and all kinds of uh, of necessities in, in areas that need attention. But Paul chose to le- live a single life for the sake of the gospel. He didn't want to be held back in any way. And he gave honor. And he honored the single life. If you're a single here, know that you're not a second class citizen. We value marriage and we honor marriage as something good that God has designed here. But if you're a single, you can serve God faithfully and fulfill the purpose of God just as much as a married person can. Jesus lived a single life. Paul lived a single life. And so, so anyhow, Paul could have t- taken a believing wife. Uh, he could have, he could have received support, financial support from the church that he planted. And he chose not to. He chose to be bivocational. He chose to work hard with his hands just so that the church wouldn't say, you're in it for the money. You're in it for the money. Right? He could have taken, he could have received financial support. Now, in, in this, he also gives logic. He explained the logic for Christian ministers receiving financial support. He gives a, a handful of illustrations. He said, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Or who plants a vineyard without eating its fruit? Who tends a flock without getting some of the, the milk? Right? And he quotes the Old Testament. And, and Jesus, by the way, has a couple of quotes on this too. When he sent his disciples out on a mission trip, he said the, the, the worker is worthy of his wages. And he said, eat whatever, whatever they offer you. When they receive you in the homes, eat whatever's set before you. The worker is worthy of their wages. And so he goes down a little bit further. And he, he uses the example in verse 13 as those who, um, employees who eat from the temple, they get their food from the temple. Shepherds get milk from the flock. The, the, the farmers get fruit from the from their labor soldiers are provided with resources imagine somebody enlist as a soldier in 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 the military in the army or or the marines or the navy and and imagine that they have to provide their own gear they have to find their own guns buy their own guns get their own backpacks get their own boots and get everything themselves all that nice equipment that they get to use right 
the the government provides for that and and we pay taxes that that help contribute towards that and so paul's using that logic that logic to uh to, to support the idea that minister is right, it's fitting for Christian ministers to receive support. But his, his point isn't, this isn't a support letter. Like saying, hey, Corinthian church, this is right. Send me some support. That's, that was not his point at all. I mean, he, it's a sub point, but that's not the point he's trying to make. He's not trying to get the Corinthian church to give towards his ministry. He's highlighting the fact that he yielded up that right. And that freedom, that privilege as an apostle of Christ. He yielded it up for the sake of the gospel. And, and let me just say this, that, that Christian pa- pastoring and ministry is hard work. It, it can be exhausting emotionally, spiritually, physically, relationally. It's hard work. And, and I just want to say thank you. For those of you who give here at City Church, because your giving to City Church helps support me and the rent, the, all the cost here, um, and Kevin as well, we uh, help support Kevin partially, and we're trying to bring Kevin on full-time as a minister here, and we have a desire, we have, we're praying and we're looking for God to provide for us a, another space, a bigger space, a more accessible space. Um, as well. And so, and then we as a church, we tithe and we invest in other church plants as well. And so we commit 10% of our, the income that comes here through City Church into other church plants as well. And so let me, at this point, just say thank you, City Church. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your giving, your tithes, and for honoring the Lord in that way. There's been a number of times that my wife and I have talked about the possibility of me being bivocational and just doing this part-time, and that didn't fly very well. It didn't go very well, right? Um, because it's a lot of work, and there are a lot of ministers who do it. Um, so the Apostle Paul highlights that, that that's, that's a good thing. Like, and here, here's a couple of New Testament scriptures. I mean, one, verses 14, he says, In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Galatians 6, 6 says, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18 says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. It's not really fun to talk about. My name is Keith Dollar, right? And, and so I feel like I have to apologize anytime I'm talking about money, but the Bible addresses it, right? Uh, in a number of different areas. And Jesus talked about it a lot more than many of us feel comfortable with. And so let's look at this next section here. Paul's aim in giving up his rights was to present the gospel free of charge. His aim was to present the gospel free of charge. He didn't want anybody to feel like, oh, I got to pay to hear this message because salvation is free. It's a free gift of grace and it should be offered freely and it should be proclaimed. 
verse 18, he says, What then is my reward that in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel? It is sad that there are many ministers who overemphasize money and who... And, and I don't, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not going to meddle here too much. But it is sad that in, in, in many circles that, that money is overemphasized and there's a prosperity message that, that, that endorse or that, that fuels the suspicion that unbelievers have that Christians just want my money. They, I don't go to church because they just want my money, right? And Paul didn't want that to be the issue at all because it wasn't for him. He wanted to freely share the gospel. And he worked hard with his hands. He was willing to go to jail. He was willing to experience lots of inconveniences for the sake of the gospel. We see his example in verse 16 and 17. And then also in uh, his example of diligence in Acts 20 verse 34 and 35. He says, you yourselves know that these hands have ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So you hear and see this, this theological conviction behind the Apostle Paul's actions. He wasn't just looking at the things of this world. He wasn't earthly minded. He was kingdom minded he was thinking beyond this world and we're going to see uh it, that at the end of the chapter gordon fee in his commentary on the first, on first corinthians says that um philosophers and wandering missionaries in the greco-roman world were supported by four means fees patronage begging and working each of these both proponents and detractors each of these had both proponents and detractors which viewed rival forms as not worthy of philosophy. So, so here's, here's what theologians kind of think that the logic was with the Corinthians, the fact that Paul wasn't receiving support, financial support. The, the, the perception is that maybe he didn't think he was worthy of it. Maybe he wasn't worthy enough or up there as high enough as an apostle to, to receive that. And another thing that Warren Wiersbe points out is he says to keep in mind that for the most part, the Greeks despised manual labor. They had slaves to do manual labor so that the citizens can enjoy sports, philosophy, and leisure. The Jews, of course, magnified honest labor, right? Because they had in their Bibles, and do in their Bibles, and we do as well, Genesis 2.15, that the Lord God put them in the garden to tend the garden, right? Manual labor is, is not dishonorable. There's, you know, and I love the fact that Jesus himself was a carpenter, right? Before he became a rabbi at the age of 30, around 30, he worked hard with his hands. He wasn't, he, 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 he didn't avoid sweat, blood, Tears, right? It's a, it's a beautiful thing to sweat for Jesus. 
effort, to sweat for the sake of the gospel, to, to put in energy and invest your time and energy for the sake of reaching people with the gospel or doing some kind of service project to serve those in need for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of honoring the name of Jesus. It's worth it. And we got to keep the end in mind. We got to keep the prize in mind. We got to keep the reward in mind. We got to we to to live faithfully as Christians. We got to know the why behind the what. And we're big on that here at City Church. We talk a lot about the why. We don't want to just tell 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 everyone what to do. You ought to do this. We want to talk about the why because the why sustains the what. When we know why we're doing what we're doing and we're doing it for the right motives. We have the right perspective. We see Paul also uh, strategically adapted how he, he adapted to reach people with the gospel. Let's look at this here in First Corinthians 9. He says, for though I am free from all, so he's free. I've made myself a servant to all. That I might win the more. His mindset was evangelistic. Was minded. He wanted to make an impact to the Jews. I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. Now, does this sound inconsistent? Does it sound like he's wishy-washy? That Like he's trying to please people? In an unhealthy way? Because he says in Galatians 1, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm trying to please man, I'm no longer a servant of Christ. Right? Ultimately, he was trying to honor God. And he wanted to reach people. He wanted to serve people. To the Jews, he became like the Jew. He adapted to, to the cultural context. I mean, missionaries do this, don't they? You know, they, they'll, they'll wear the, 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 the garb, the, the, the clothing of the culture and learn the language and get accustomed with the food and the different kinds of ways. And we call that contextualizing, right? It's, it's engaging, adapting to reach people in a specific context. This is what Jesus did when he took on flesh and he stepped into our world. He became human to reach humans, to save humans. The apostle Paul to the Jews became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law became as one under the law. Though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside of the law became as, as one outside of the law. Uh, now, you know, I, I realize that I tend to do this. My wife makes fun of me. When I'm talking to different people, sometimes my accent will change. The way that I'm talking to people. In my, in my, uh, just wiring to try to connect with people, to try to relate to people. If I'm talking to a Latino brother or sister, I may start trying to pull out my Spanish, like, uh, uh especially at the, at the, the Mexican restaurant, you know. Me puedes dar salsa, por favor, señora. And I'll, you know, use my little Spanish. Or if I'm talking to, you know, somebody, uh, African American young brother from the hood with his hat back, I'd be like, what's up, man? You know. Uh, or, or when I was in India, when I, when, and I was talking to, to folks in India, I, I, I start, I catch my, I still do this here, here, and I start talking with an Indian accent, and even say some of the words, like, TK, you know, like, and, and, and I just, I think God's just wired me like that, and I intentionally try to be like the Apostle Paul in that, 
And my, and my goal is to relate and connect with people and try to get down on their level. My, my goal isn't to like, hey, like me, think I'm cool, follow me on Instagram. My goal is to reach them with the gospel, to relate to people in a way, strangers that I meet, to turn strangers into friends so that I can share the good news of Jesus with them. And this is what missionaries do. This is what ministers of the gospel must do. If we're going to be effective, we're going to reach people, we can't just expect everyone to adapt and, 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 and change to our specific cultural setting. We have to be willing to adapt. There's many churches that are dying and closed down because they haven't adapted to the culture. Now there, now there is a line too. We can sinful, we can cross a line where we, we redo things and say things and, and, and that are, that are just ungodly. And so we should have biblical conviction and not cross those lines. But those secondary issues, we should be willing to adjust to reach people for the sake of the gospel. It's called contextualizing. So the Apostle Paul did that. And lastly, let's look at how the Apostle Paul lived a disciplined life with the end in goal. And I love this passage. Verse 24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul lived a disciplined life with the end in view. He describes the Christian life as a race, as a marathon. And he exhorts the Corinthians and us. We're exhorted today through this text to run in a way to win the prize. You don't do that passively by coasting through the Christian life. You don't, athletes don't win the gold medal just by showing up because they're really gifted. They train. They train for months and years. And they devote themselves to training to win the prize. Now in the context there, there were the Isthmian games that, that uh, took place every other year. Every two years that were second up to the Olympic Games. And they were about 10 miles from Corinth. And so there, there were six different sports that were involved in that. And I don't have those available in my notes, but running was one of them. Boxing was another one of them. And the Apostle Paul, perhaps the Paul, perhaps the Apostle Paul visited or heard about the games. And maybe he stopped in to see how, how things were going, to watch a little sports there. But it, nevertheless, he uses the analogy. He uses any opportunity or analogy that he can to relate and connect with people for the sake of the gospel and, and let me just say this too, when we, when we hear stories about Olympians and athletes that just do these amazing things that we sit and watch, 
Aren't we inspired? And just think, wow, how can the human body do that? That's amazing. And like, and then like when you hear the stories, when you watch the Olympics and you hear like the backdrop of the people's lives, like you're interested, like, I want to know, like, what, what is it that drives you? Like, were you able to have a good childhood, you know, like in the midst of all that training, like, you know, was your family good? Like, what, what was your life like preparing as an athlete? And some of those stories are so inspiring and many of them are Christians who discipline themselves and, and engage in, in, in the arena of sports. But nevertheless, Paul uses this analogy and he highlights a couple different things within this, within this analogy. One is that discipline is needed. Self-control is needed. Okay. Verse 25. Every athlete exercises self-control. The other one is that the prize needs to be in view. There needs to be a long view, a long view perspective instead of a short view perspective. And like, just give me my hamburger. Give me my dessert. Paul said, all things are lawful to me, but not all things are helpful to me. In chapter six, and I think he mentions that too in chapter 10 as well. And so, so yeah, he can, we, an athlete can indulge in Twinkies and chocolate and candy and greasy foods. But it's not going to help them if they're going to win the prize, if they're going to run well, if they're going to endure. They need to discipline themselves, exercise self-control in in their diet and exercise self-control by physically exercising and training. Paul goes on and he says, I do not run aimlessly. He uses the two analogies here. One of, of the runner. All, run, all who run, run in a race, but only one receives the prize. One, run in such a way that you may obtain it. And so I do not run aimlessly. Now, how many, how many runners do we have here? I'm, I'm one of them. I enjoy running. I know, I know we got, have one, at least, at least it used to be here. Uh, Okay, we got some runners. All right. Do you enjoy running? <laughs> now, I want to say I enjoy running. But I, I we've got Phil over here. He loves running as well. Um, I enjoy running, but it doesn't I don't I'm not always motivated to run. Sometimes like I don't there's that threshold for me at the beginning. I don't enjoy like the first three, five minutes or before, right? Like it's like many times it's like it's a mental challenge. I got to work through knowing that this is good for me and good for my body. And when I do it, I feel better and I'm glad that I do it. And I connect with the Lord while I do it. Talking, I'm praying, I'm reflecting, sometimes listening to worship music or a sermon, but it takes discipline and, and disciples have to discipline themselves for the sake of godliness. And so we want to do this in every area of our lives, spiritually, physically. We want to discipline ourselves so that nothing hinders us from running the race that is set before us. And in Hebrews chapter 12, he tells us, lay aside every weight 
and sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run the race that's set before us with endurance. Athletes tend to strip down and wear very minimal clothing so that they're not hindered by what they're carrying so that they can win the prize. Right? Now in Olympic, Olympic Games, they, they did it naked, from, if I'm not mistaken, in their birthday suit, running for the sake of the prize. We also got an example of the boxer. A boxer, he says, I do not box as one who's beating the air. Okay? Now, I can relate to this because at one point I was in boxing when I was about 14, 15 years old, and it was helpful for me to stay out of trouble. It was, I, I had some, I had something positive to do instead of stealing and doing drugs and running around with the wrong crowd. I got, I got to hit a punching bag and hit other, other, uh, boxers and, and be a part of a team. And of course I don't, I don't do this anymore. Um, but I, my, my very first fight, I'll tell you all about this. My very first fight, um, I, uh, I stayed up late partying the night before and I was tired and I got in there and I, I just started just kind of go, you know, ghetto on them and just start fight like a regular fight. Like I forgot everything that I had trained for, you know, like keeping your, you know, keeping your stance, your balance, your hands up. I just started like just going for a fight in it. Like, come on, man, I'm going to take you out, man. And, uh, and I just started get, I started hitting air, swinging and hitting the air and, uh, and started getting knocked around and, and I started seeing stars. Okay. Now I thought this was just in the cartoons, but I really like lights and stars and I, and I was knocked out. Like, like I don't. They, they had to say TKO, you know, he's out. I wasn't, I didn't go down, but I was like, I was up, but I was like seeing stars and just thought I could take them, you know, I'll just be tough. And, uh, and I was the example of a boxer who was beating the air. Now my next fights did not go like that. I came, that was humbling and that helped me prepare for the next one. In 1998, I was able to win the Fort Worth, Fort Worth Golden Gloves, and uh, it was felt really good to accomplish something. Thank you. So if anybody comes in here was wanting to start something, we'll lay hands on them. Pray for. <laughs> some of y'all don't know Kevin was in martial arts too. Like like we we kind of joked about doing some kind of uh, some kind of martial fundraising fundraiser for the gospel's sake. Yeah, and, and, and actually when we first moved in here, there was a boxing gym right downstairs. Um, and that was something that attracted us to this area. There was about 50 young people that were, that were coming consistently here. And so the Apostle Paul says, I box not as someone who's beating the air. I don't run aimlessly. He's living purposefully. He lived purposely. He lived passionately. And he lived faithfully and diligently running for the prize. He wanted to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. He wasn't just coasting through life. He had purpose. He had passion. And he said he didn't want to be disqualified. So what does that mean? Disqualified from what? Okay. Sam Storms says in addressing this, then theologians have different uh, 
views. Um, first of all, let me just say, I don't think he was talking about losing his salvation. Okay, I don't, when, he, when he talked about being disqualified in verse 27, I don't think he's talking about losing his salvation. Sam Storm says, does this word translated disqualified suggest that Paul lose fearing his salvation or feared losing his salvation? Once again, we also see in Romans eleven twenty two that it may be that Paul is echoing a theme found elsewhere in his letters and throughout the New Testament, namely that ultimate salvation is dependent on perseverance and faith. A faith which Paul believes God graciously preserves and sustains within us. Okay? So perhaps that's what he was referring to. Right? Now, now he said at the very beginning of 1 Corinthians that God is faithful. And, God, and he, he, he mentions this over and over. God's faithful to complete what he starts. He's able to keep us. And he does and he will keep the people of God. Okay? Storms goes on, and, and a lot of theologians that I, I like and agree with on a lot of things would, would definitely highlight this very thing. Storm says, more, more likely, however, it's Paul's concern that he not become slack or indifferent in his ministry, lest he forfeit God's approval on his apostolic endeavors, and perhaps the power of the Holy Spirit that energized his work. He fears not hearing God say, well done, good and faithful servant, and thereby forfeiting the divine blessings and rewards he otherwise would receive. A theme that he addressed in 1 Corinthians 3. Now, he already addressed this. He talked about two types of builders, built, those who build with wood, hay, and stubble, straw, and their work goes through the fire on judgment, and they're saved, but they don't have reward. They're saved as through fire, he says in 1 Corinthians 3. And then there's others whose work is like gold, silver, and precious stones. And their work at judgment, at the judgment seat of Christ, endures the fire, and they receive a reward. Okay? And so perhaps this is what, what he's looking at here. Um, either way, either way, we must take the warnings seriously when we read heavy warnings within Scripture. And either way, we, what, regardless of what specifically he's referring to in being disqualified, we don't want to be disqualified. And so we run. And we, and we don't work for our salvation. We're not working for our salvation. Philippians 2, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. In, in Philippians 3, Paul described, uh, he says that, that he, he pressed on for that for which Christ has laid a hold of him for. Christ had saved him and rescued him, and he said he pressed on for that very purpose for which Christ had saved him for. So the Greek word, which is translated disqualified, does not pertain to the test of faith, but to the test of apostleship. In 2 Corinthians, Paul applies the terminology of testing to himself as an apostle, not as a professing Christian. Now, he does say in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, I believe, test yourself, examine yourselves, and see whether you're in the faith. 
There are many people in churches that think that they're okay with God because they go to church, they were brought up in a Christian family, they said a prayer, and and perhaps they don't have a genuine relationship with Jesus. I don't want to minimize that. And to me, that's a scary thing for anybody to be in that place. To think they know Jesus and not really know him. And to hear Jesus on that day, Matthew 7, say, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. People who will say, Lord, didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do many wonderful works in your name? And he will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. Those are some of the scariest words in the scripture, if you ask me. And here at City Church, our vision is to know Jesus, to love people, to impact your world. Now, also, I want to highlight that in many places that Paul and other biblical authors talk about these heavy warnings, there's also assurances that balance them out, right? Like in Hebrews chapter 6. He gives one of the most severe warnings and he says, but we are confident of better things concerning you, things regarding salvation. Hebrews chapter 10, another one of the heaviest warnings in scripture. After he gives it, he says, but we are not those who, who, who draw back to destruction, but we are those who believe to the saving of the soul. Amen. And so that's who the saints are. That's who the people of God are. They persevere. They believe. They endure. They run. And if we run well, we will be rewarded. Amen? And so let me close with just a couple points of application here. Live with the end in view. Live with the end in view. When it's all said and done, we're going to stand before Jesus. And there are so many things that we concern ourselves with in this life that are going to mean nothing. And we don't want to get there and be like, man, I wish I wouldn't have spent so much time on Facebook or Instagram or whatever hobbies. And God's not against us having hobbies. But what is it that drives us? Are we living for the gospel's sake? Are we living for the glory of God? Whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. This is what we're made for. And this is what we're going to do throughout all eternity is we're going to glorify him. We're going to see him. First John 3, 3 says that everyone who has this hope of seeing Jesus, they purify themselves. It changes our, how we live our lives when, when we have this end in mind that we're going to see Jesus in this broken world in which we live and we experience death and suffering, coronavirus, terrible things in this life. The old is going to be completely gone and we're, we're going to have a renewed creation. He'll wipe every tear from our eye. And he will reward us. And so consider the, the reward greater than the sacrifice. God calls us to, to sacrifice, to follow him. I mean, what disciple, when Jesus says, come follow me to his disciples, I mean, they had to give up some things, didn't they? Like they left. They left their father's business. They left everything. They left their nets. And they just followed Jesus. And so if we're trying to hold on to the world and try to follow Jesus at the same time, it's not going to work. You got to let one go. 
Jesus said, what good would it be for a man to gain the whole world but lose or forfeit his very own soul? Wouldn't be worth it. And so consider this, the, the reward greater. The reward of seeing Jesus and hearing Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. That's worth it. The, the joy of seeing others that you shared the good news of Jesus Christ with and people that come to faith in Jesus through your faithful proclamation of the gospel. And there's a beautiful reunion in heaven with them. And we see Jesus together and experience Jesus together for all eternity. And reflect on the great value of the gospel and the necessity for people to hear it and receive it. We believe people need the gospel. It's through the gospel that people are saved and rescued and delivered from destruction, eternal destruction. And if we believe that, if we believe that there's really two destinies and there's an eternity where people are going to spend forever. And we, re- and we believe the biblical account of the horrors of what it's like to be apart from God forever. The way Jesus talked about it, the way Paul talked about it. I mean, how could we pass, how could we pass a neighbor's house that's on fire just on our way to church? Well, we're going to church. Come, don't worry about that fire. Let's go, guys. Like, we got to at least call the 911. Hey, there's a fire here. We got to do something to warn, to help if we care. And the love of Christ must compel us to reach out and share the gospel, to adapt and let secondary things that may be a stumbling block from people hearing and receiving the gospel, let those things not be primary. Like lay them aside for the sake of the gospel, right? I mean, I love that Jesus like hung out with people that the Pharisees would never hang out with. He hung out with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and people who were just despised who felt guilty and ashamed for their actions and he didn't compromise his convictions he loved them and he influenced them may we be like that may may it be true of us that that we're friends of sinners not not mean browbeaten condemning people who are not walking with God, but that, that we have loving arms open wide to the lost and that we lovingly and boldly share the good news with them. Let me, let me be loving and land this plane here. Kevin, would you come on up? I make it my aim to end every service before 12 o'clock for your sake and for the gospel's sake so that you'll come back again and listen. No. Um, I want to respect you guys and your time. Let's pray. Kevin's going to lead us in a song. If you would bow and close your eyes with me. And just think for a moment. Think about Jesus. If you could see his face right now. What do you think you would see? Would you see him smiling? Do you perceive him to be frowning? 
you perceive him to be sad or disappointed. Or do you see him cheering you on? Say, run. Run, my son. Run, my daughter. Forget those things that are behind. Press on. You can do it. I'm with you. I'm for you. Get back up. Lord, would you allow us to feel the weight of who you are in our lives and be changed by that. In view of standing before you and being with you and hearing you say, well done. Move us to action. Move us on mission. Move us with compassion towards the lost. May we live with a sense of urgency. May we live with purpose. Help us to live fully, hitting on all cylinders, God. Deliver us from passivity. Deliver us from indifference. Deliver us from our guilt and shame, our discouragement, our heaviness. Deliver us from the lies of the enemy.